The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. So Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 7 and read through verse 14. We're not going to cover all of that, um, but I want to read it anyway. So can we stand, church, if you're physically able? We're going to read this together on your way in. Uh, I should have got one of these things, our service programs. Um, and we're going to talk about the, the card in there. We're going to talk about that later, so hold on to that. Please don't put it in the offering envelope slot so I don't have to throw it away later. And if you are visiting with us, if you're first time here, there's an outline in there that you can use to follow along with the message I'm preaching, and in the left-hand portion of that is uh, a connection card uh, that we would just absolutely love for you to fill out. That just helps us get to know you and have a name for the face, um, and I would love to meet you uh, before you leave today. So, with no more to be said, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul has just He's writing to the church in Philippi, and he's just, in a sense, listed his credentials, his resume. He's, he's telling the Philippian church, hey, does anyone think you're something at that church? Is anyone boasting like they're something? He's like, hey, I got you all beat, all right? And then he lists. He's like, hey, here's what I've done. Here's who I am. Here's where I came from. He's like, I, I'm better than all you. And then we come to verse 7, and he says this, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. He's saying, I'm not there yet. I haven't reached it. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And as we're moving through these verses today, our theme is going to be this, that to know and become like Jesus is the daily, the daily and lifetime pursuit of every believer. To know and become like Jesus is the daily and lifetime pursuit of every believer. Father, We are yours, God. You are worthy of everything that we have, Lord, everything that we are. And God, I confess that I do not understand your worthiness. I do not understand your holiness. I do not understand your gospel even, Lord. The depth of love and the infinite holiness, I can't even comprehend it. And so, Father... Would you give us a supernatural understanding this morning? Would your spirit speak, Lord? Father, silence me if that's what it takes. But God, we want to know you. We want to hear from you. So would you have your way this morning, Lord? Would you open our eyes? Would you raise our faith, Lord, in Jesus? That you would take all the faith that we have in everything else, God, we would focus it on Jesus alone and that he would be glorified this morning. Amen. 
Man, you can be seated. Thank you. So, you know, I, uh, I hate loss. I hate losing uh, anything um, when it comes to competition in sports um, or, you know, board games. Those of you who have done that stuff with me know that I am a very bad loser. And uh, when I am losing, I am in such agony. Or even if I'm not losing, I just I don't like how I'm performing, right? I will, I, I just can't shut up. Anything comes out. I'm just yelling, I'm groaning, or I'm just trying to be funny. I'm trying anything to cope with the pain that I, I don't know what to do with. And so pray for me in that. I need some help. Um, and this idea of loss, I, don't, I think we all get it when it comes to sports and competition. We're like, okay, look, yeah, it's just part of how it is. There's a winner, there's a loser. I know, I know. But when we think about loss, it gets a little more serious the closer that it gets to our heart. Um, there will be times in my life pretty regularly where I'll either be looking through pictures or just reminiscing on, you know, whether it's growing up farming raisins with my siblings and my dad and my mom's good cooking and, and helping her in the yard or playing football in high school with my younger brother Sawyer and, uh, you know, the glory days. Um, it's all downhill now, so. But... I'll be reminiscing on those times, and it's so sweet. The memories, they're so, they're so sweet. And I'm like, oh. And then I'll come to that realization of, oh, this is gone. Like, this is so gone. Like, it's never coming back. And it's like, well, you don't have to be so morbid about it. I, I know, but this is how I feel things, right? And what I'm feeling in that moment is this sense of loss, and closely associated with that is, is this idea of waste, right? Nobody likes waste. Nobody likes loss. We don't want to waste an opportunity or energy or time or relationships. We don't want to waste anything, right? We realize it's a part of life, and so we try to minimize loss as much as we can and maximize gain. And these are the ideas that Paul is talking about today in relation to our lives in our pursuit of Jesus. And in our passage, we see a man totally abandoned to the pursuit of something. And his pursuit is not just something that we look at and observe and applaud him, but his pursuit calls us to the very same. That this is not simply Paul's pursuit, but this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to know Jesus. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, there's the reality of not just happening upon loss like everybody else, but a reality of choosing loss, of choosing to lose. And so that's our first point today, that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we lose. We lose. What do I mean? Let's go back to the passage. Paul says, but whatever things were gained to me, so he has all of this stuff that he counts as gain, right? It's all, it, it means something. It makes him somebody. And he says, everything, all that stuff I listed over here in the gain category, I just took it and I just, I just dumped it over in the loss category. I just counted his loss. And then he says, more than that, I count all things to be loss. We're not just talking possessions. I don't know if Paul even listed one possession. It was reputation. It was education. It was all of this stuff that makes him somebody, right? And he says, I took everything that was gain and I threw it over in the loss category. And then, you know what? For good measure, I just looked at everything. I just looked at everything in my life, and I said, you know what? I don't need any of this. And he just threw it in the loss category. But then he goes on, and he says, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things. 
So he didn't just count it as loss. He suffered the loss of all things. And I count them but rubbish. No regrets. Doesn't miss it. Why? So that I may gain Christ. He's like, there's something that I've found that goes in this category. And so I want to illustrate this idea real quickly, if I can, of uh, a gain and, 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 and well, counting as loss and actually suffering the loss, right? So on my person, at almost all times, there are three very, very important things that I count as gain to myself. I have my phone, my wallet, and my, uh, my keys, okay? I found this lanyard in a parking lot or something somewhere, and it's great. So... <clears throat> My keys are very important because they represent some very important things that I count as gain to myself. Uh, on here, I have uh, symbolized my car, my apartment, and my job, okay? Let's just say for the sake of illustration. Those are very important things to me. I don't, I'm not trying to lose those things, okay? So when I hold them like this, sure, you can come pry them out of my hands and I can suffer the loss, right? But, but I am not willing to lose this, right? So I'm holding it tightly, okay? Now, what does it mean to count as loss? Does it mean to just throw them away? No. I'm going to count it as loss. And that idea of counting as loss is kind of like this idea of willingness to surrender, of submission. I'm not, I'm not looking. I don't need anything from this. Are you hearing me? I don't need anything from this anymore. I don't value this as necessary to my life, which is kind of crazy when we think about that, right? And so if I'm going to count as loss, I'm going to go like this. Now, I can very easily lose this, right? I'm not holding on to it. I'm willing to lose this. I'm counting it as loss. And there may come a time where I'm required to suffer the loss of all things. And Paul talks in the past tense. He says, yeah, that happened. And you know what? I count it as rubbish. I count it as garbage. You know, some translations, good old King James, dung. I count it as dung. So there are two parables that Jesus gives in the book of Matthew that I think Paul exemplifies. It's so cool how they're so similar. And so if you can, I want to go real quickly to Matthew 13. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Um, verses 44 and 46, Jesus says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So we have these two stories, these two dudes, and it's almost like the same story, different people, different objects, right? You have this dude in the field, right? He comes across this treasure. He doesn't own the field, but he found the treasure, and so he hides it, and he's like, you know what? I want to own this treasure. I want this treasure. So what does he go do? He goes and sells all that he has. Buys a field, so now the treasure's his. There's a merchant. He's seeking fine pearls, and he comes across one, and he's like, oh, like this is unique. Like this is a one of a kind. Like this is special. This is worth a lot. And so what is his response? He goes and sells all that he has. Reckless. Crazy. Foolish. Right? Maybe. What did they find? What did they find? I want to notice two things about, these, about both of these individuals. That they lost before they gained. They lost before they gained. Before they could acquire the treasure, they had to lose. But not only did they lose before they gained, they lost 
in order to gain. They lost so that they could gain. Because what they had found was of more value than what they lost. Correct? Right? So was this foolish? Well, depending on what they got, what did they get in exchange? They took the treasure, they took the pearl, and they had these scales, and they took it and they put it on one side, and then they took everything they had, everything, and they put it on the other side, and they weighed it, and they said, okay, this is better. This is the, this is the better decision. And what was their reasonable response? Rational response was, okay, I will get rid of this so I can gain, so I can gain this. Don't you see this in Paul? Did anybody, did anybody force them to do this? Was this like a miserable transaction they were kind of compelled into? No. What does it say about the guy in the field? With joy over it. This was, they did this joyfully. They were like, oh, sure. Like not, not even a second thought because of what they had found. And I feel like you see this beautifully displayed in the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3. Doesn't this sound similar to what we just read? And so the question is why? Why? Why would you lose everything? Why would you sell all that you have? Why would you do something that foolish? Maybe, maybe they'd found something. Maybe Paul found something. What did you find, Paul? What did you find that was worth it? And so that leads us to our next point. As Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things so that I may gain Christ. And then he says, the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And so these ideas of gaining Christ and knowing Christ are almost synonymous. That I want him. I want to know him. And so why do we lose? We lose to know and become like Jesus. We lose so that we can know and become like Jesus. Now there's two aspects here. There's the knowing and there's the becoming, right? Now it's hard though. It's hard to break them up because you cannot know Jesus and not become like him. And you cannot become like Jesus without knowing him. So I'm going to divide these up, but we need to have in our minds that, man, these are, these are the, these are like one in, they're two sides of the same coin. Okay, so let's first talk about what does it mean to know Jesus? If, if, if this is worth giving and losing everything for, we should probably know what it means to know, right? In John 17, 3, Jesus is praying. I love this chapter in John chapter 17. And uh, Jesus is praying for his disciples, the 12 there. But then when you read that, he's also praying for you and me who are in here today. So I encourage you to go read that. And right in the beginning of Jesus' prayer, this is what he says. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. He's like, let me sum up eternal life here. Let me sum up. It's to know God. This is eternal life, that you know God. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a minister at Westminster Chapel in London for 30 years uh, in the mid-20th century, and he said this, I'm not asking whether you know things about him, but do you know God? Are you enjoying God? Is God the center of your life, the soul of your being, the source of your greatest joy? Because he is meant to be. So let's talk about the basics of knowing first, okay? Paul gives us some insight here. 
Um, but, but I want to just talk about what does it mean to know someone, okay, in human terms, right? That, that's where we get the idea of relationship, right? Nowhere in your Bible will you read, uh, you need to have a relationship with God. It doesn't say it anywhere. We get that idea from passages like Philippians 3. They give, that's where the source is, okay? Because it's this idea of knowing. The word knowing there is this word gnosko, okay? It, 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 it's this idea of experiential knowledge, experiential understanding, not gnosis, which is just facts and information, but experiential understanding, relationship, knowing. And so in human terms, what does it mean to know? Well, you meet someone, right? You probably learn each other's names, and then now you have some form of relationship. You know each other to a degree, right? Right? You all, you all sleep? We good? Come on, show me something. Show me some life. There we go. Amen, amen. And so as the relationship develops, you, how does it develop? What constitutes a deep relationship? Well, time, conversation, interaction, you know, doing things together, right? I feel like in, in the really basics, I kind of want to get in the nitty-gritty. We don't really think about it. It's kind of vague. It's kind of like, what is a relationship, right? But at the, the, the basics of it is, is, is time, spending time together, understanding the other person, hearing and listening to one another and talking and conversing, right? And so how do we do that with God? Can we do that with God? This sounds so elementary, but it's, it's critical, Right? Because we're talking about knowing him. And so I think Paul gives us, gives us the foundation of what it means to know Jesus. Because we can't feel, see, hear, touch God like we can each other, right? So the relationship, the nature of it is, is a little bit different. And look what Paul says in verse 9 of Philippians 3. I want to gain Christ and I want to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of what? Faith. That I may know him. And so how does it begin? He that cometh to God must believe that he is. Faith. That you, it's not this universalism like, yes, I believe in God. No, no, no. Who? Who is your God? Is he Yahweh? Is he the creator? Is he the true God? How do, we, how do we have a relationship with that being who is infinite, who is the creator, and we are the creature? We are, he is, we are finite through faith, Paul says. We believe in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? Because that is the beginning of what it means to know him. Do you believe in him? Paul says, look, I've had my own righteousness, and now it's rubbish. It's, it's garbage. I don't even know. I want the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, believing in him. And then it's from that place that we can now hear from God as the spirit indwells us. As we believe in Jesus, his spirit comes in and awakens our, our dead, spiritually dead, hopeless, sinful selves, cleanses us from our sin, washes us, justifies us, adopts us into his family. And now we are sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. That's awesome. And it's from that place that we can now hear God in his word as the spirit teaches us all things. And it's from that place that now we can talk to God, believing that he hears us, which can be such a foolish concept if you don't believe, if you don't know him, right? But then here's where I want to focus in because Paul gives us a little bit more information as to what it means to know Jesus. He says that I may know him, verse 10, and the power of his resurrection. 
and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Some translations will say being made like him in his death. We'll get to that. First, I want to talk about what is the power of the resurrection he's talking about. Okay. In his letters to the Corinthians, Paul writes about the resurrection, and he says, hey, look, guys, uh, if the resurrection didn't happen, we who believe that it did are the most miserable of all people because everything that we are, all the hope that we have is staked to that fact that our God is alive and he's not dead. So what does that mean? What does Paul say when he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, the power that raised Jesus from the dead and has given him all authority over everything. He defeated death. He defeated sin. And now when we believe by faith, we are indwelt by the same power. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit who gives us victory over our sin. That we now have some kind of crazy power to prefer others better than ourselves? What is that? That's a Christian. We have power to forgive those who hurt us? Like really forgive? Right? We have power to love our enemies. Like that's crazy power. That's what we have. And Paul says, I want to know it. I want to know the power that gives me victory over my sin. So I don't just do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I do want to do. Romans 7. He says, no, I have a power that is in me that raised Jesus from the dead. That power. What, 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 is, what is impossible now? And Paul says, I want to know it. That's what it means to know Jesus. To know and experience that power as it transforms us. Now think about who's saying this. Paul. The dude who, who literally stoned, gets back up, walks into the city of the people that stoned him. The dude that's healing people and performing all kinds of miracles, right? They literally, they take, I think I said this last time I preached, but they take Paul's handkerchief and they throw it on people and it heals them. That'd be nice. That'd be really nice. Literally, cities are turned upside down. People are saying, the world is upside down. Who knew this power better than Paul? But he's still like, oh, I want to know it. He's obsessed. He's a man who sells everything he has because he found something. Which tells us something about this power, that it is not something you reach the end of. It is not something that you get and you put on your shelf. And you kind of, you know, give lip service to and say, yes, I have the power of God in me. Do you know this power? Paul says, I want to know it more. And I want to know it more. And I want to know it more. And if Paul was saying that, good gracious. I got a long, long way to go. He says, not only I want to know the power of his resurrection, but I want to know the fellowship of his what? His sufferings. Do you know what the word fellowship there is? It's the word koinonia. Have you ever heard that word before? We talk about that in context of our groups. That is the, the Greek word that talks about having intimacy with each other in the context with the gospel. That we love and serve one another. And we have fellowship as sons and daughters of God. And we share life and we pray for one another and we suffer with one another. And Paul says, I want that with Jesus' sufferings. Now let's talk about the basics of suffering real quick, okay? And how that somehow helps us know God. Think about it. In those moments of loneliness, in those moments of darkness, yeah, 
the, that, that stuff that you don't want to talk about, that you want to face, that you don't want to even think about in your life. In those moments that you've been through, hasn't God, hasn't God showed up? Hasn't God been with you? Isn't it crazy how when everything, when you're floating on luxury and you're just surrounded by comforts and everything's going well, it's, it's, not, it's not as easy to experience and know God and know that he is enough and realize that he is really with you and he really does love you. But it's in those moments of the dark night of the soul where there is nothing, where there is nothing, and all you have is God, and you find out, oh, wow, you're enough. I survived. I experienced his love, his comfort. Am I the only one in here? Gosh, I hope not. <laughs> right? I think that's a basic understanding of what it means to know Jesus in suffering. And I think we have to redefine suffering. I think we think in our minds, we hear suffering, we think of the big stuff. Losing a loved one. Being tortured for Christ. That's suffering. Well, just think of suffering as what? Pain. When I'm in traffic, and I want to kill everyone, and I just want to say, don't exist anymore, that's pain, right? That's suffering. Now, it's, it's really weird to say that, but just call it what it is. It's, obviously, it's not the same degree of suffering, right? As, as being tortured for Christ, but call it what it is. I think when the enemy, uh, the enemy just keeps stuff vague in our life. We never really define it. It's kind of just floating definitions, right? Go and call it suffering. That in every moment, little or small, that is a chance to know Jesus. That is a chance to apply his grace, to experience the what? The power of the resurrection. Don't you love how this stuff just connects like that? Don't you love scripture? It's awesome, right? But then he says this. And he says, oh, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be made like him in his death. Uh, wait, wait, what? I'm sorry, Paul. Can you say that? What? I want to be made like Jesus in his. There's, there's, there's a question that kind of burns on my mind when I read that. Why? Why? Didn't Jesus suffer so I don't have to? Didn't he die on a cross so I can be comfortable and I can, you know, live my life as I want to now? What is it about the cross, Paul? What could you, what could you want there? What is desirable about a bloody, destroyed human being nailed on a cross, hanging for hours, suffocating in his own blood? What? You're nuts, Paul. You're nuts. What is it? What could be attractive about that? Let's think about the cross. Let's think about even before the cross. The Garden of Gethsemane. Here's the Son of God. The one who is perfect and innocent. God became man, humbled himself. He's in the garden. And he tells his disciples, he says, I am in such agony. My soul is at the point of death. Watch with me. And he goes on a little bit further and he falls down. <laughs> Sweating blood. No human being. No human being has known what is, what is going on right now. He was tempted in all points like we are, 
Remember this moment, church. Remember that moment. He says, Father, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. I'm paraphrasing. This is the Hunter version. I don't know how to walk into this. What? Let's talk about the physical pain. Sure. Yeah. A few whips, you know, a few lashes, a little blood, nails, hands and feet. Can't even carry his cross. Let's talk about that. Sure. Do you know what the worst part about the cross was? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He will never leave you or forsake you. You know why? Because the Father said no. And Jesus is alone. Jesus is actually alone. Think about Jesus was actually alone. The worst possible scenario that could ever occur, the absence of the Father. He was made sin. There is no greater surrender. There is no greater obedience. There is no greater love. Yes, the love that Jesus had for us, but the love he had for his Father. That from all before creation, you have Father, Son, and Spirit in complete unity, enjoying the fellowship. And now, there's somehow this like split. And now the Father turns his back on his Son, his Son, so that God would be holy in loving me. That God would be righteous in loving me. That Jesus hangs on that cross and the full concentrated wrath of God is poured on him. And Paul says, I want that. I want to know that. I want to know that. I want to know that trust in the Father that says what? Not my will, but yours be done. That's crazy. That's and that's where we get into becoming like Jesus. All right, let's take sign-ups here at the front. I'm sorry, you already signed up for this. This is not super Christianity. This is not some elite. This is just what it means to know and follow Jesus. Do you want to become like Jesus? Do you want to be you? Do you want to do you? Because that doesn't, it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. Do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to become like him? The ultimate form of surrender and obedience to the Father and surrender, love. Paul says, I want that. Man, when I get to passages like this, I just am like, God, I am so far from this. I'm so far from this. Now we know that we can't make ourselves like Jesus, right? Come on, we've heard that before. I'm not going out, and I'm not saying go out and become like Jesus. This is something that the Spirit of God does in us, right? When we believe and we seek to know Jesus, what happens? What happens? I'll tell you, 2 Corinthians 3.18 happens. I'm on the wrong page. 
But we all with unveiled face, nothing in the way, beholding as in a mirror, the what? The glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. That as I what? As I what? Paul says, in view, he's looking at everything he has, right? What, is this the gain category? I think this was, I don't know. Everything I have, right? He says, I just, I saw it all and then I, I saw something else. Something captured my what? My view. The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And Paul was done. He, he was captured. And that's what it means, that when we know Jesus, we seek him. We sit there and we behold him. We seek to know him, and as we seek to know him, as we seek to understand, as we seek to live in light, as we seek to enjoy him more than anything and experience his love and love him, that he is making us like his son. He's making us like Jesus. We are not just passive agents in this process. That, yeah, I'm along for the ride now, and, you know, when, like Paul says, that I may attain to the resurrection, what is that? Is that an ulterior motive? No, no, no. That's the fullness of what he's talking about. That when we are resurrected from the dead, we will be like Jesus. And we will know him as he is. And there's nothing else. And Paul says, that's what? That's why. Because I want that. I'm chasing after that. So what is it? That, that question, why, right? This is our takeaway today, that the worth of Jesus drives us to count all else as loss in the pursuit to know and become like him. What is the why? Church, is he worthy? Sometimes I, all I can do is just ask God. I'm like, God, are you worthy? Like, I, show me, please. Because there's those times where I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to keep going. The worth of Jesus is what drives us to count all else's loss in the pursuit to know and become like him. What is Jesus worth? You've got to ask yourself that, church. You've got to be honest with yourself. Stop, you know, playing math with your, with your junk, with your rubbish. Saying, well... You know, I can give up this and this, and I think I could buy, you know, I think I could get Jesus. Like, you know, okay, okay, a little bit more. Okay, I'll, I'll lose that too, and okay, I'll count it all as lost. Yeah, man, it's hard, but I did it. No, it's just, have you, have you seen Jesus? Have you beheld God? What is Jesus worth? Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.